Now, we believe God has called us to partner in his kingdom and the work of his kingdom in this world by blessing the people who are around us. And again, if you missed last week, we highlighted seven different ways we can be generous. Um, We can be generous with our thoughts in the way we think about other people. We can be generous in our words, the way we speak to people, or even how we speak about people. We can be generous with our money and how we support the needs of others. We can be generous in our influence, with our time, with our attention, and with our belongings. So as we said last week, generosity is so much more than just about money. In fact, generosity is about taking our entire life, everything we are and everything we own, and using it to bless the people around us. And I might add, in the name of Jesus. Because if it's all about getting credit ourselves, it's not worth it. But if it's about giving him the honor and the glory, then that's what it's all about. Now, last week we talked about the first step to this pathway to generosity, and that is awareness. We have to be aware of the needs that are there. And I pray that the Holy Spirit has helped you keep your antenna up, as uh, we talked about last week, so that we can see or get the signals of those needs that are out there. Uh, And I pray that the Holy Spirit has revealed those opportunities to be generous to the people around you, to the kingdom of God as he gives you that opportunity. Now this morning we're going to talk about the second step on our path towards generosity, and that is activating our generosity. Now, the big idea for today is this. As we become aware of the needs around us, we are moved to take action. Now, the desire to be generous is important. Wouldn't you all say, look, I I, want to want to be generous. But desire alone doesn't make us generous, does it? If we want to live a generous life, we have to get active at being generous. Now, that reminds me of, you know, how uh, we consider our own physical health. Now, maybe if you're like me and you look in the mirror and you say, hmm, something's got to change. Something's got to change. Maybe as I was climbing up that mountain up in West Virginia, I was like, oh, something's got to change. But it doesn't do any good if all you do is look in the mirror and, you know, you don't do anything else. That's a a great first step. But if all we ever do is that, we never change. Our diet stays the same. We just, and and we can even get worse off. Uh, So if we want to become healthy people, we have to act upon what we're aware of. So in order to drop that extra pounds that I'm carrying around, I have to move from a desire to do it to action. And so I lost six pounds this week. There you go, big guy. 
and I feel like a rag doll. <laughs> but we have to be intentional about our efforts. So the same thing is true with generosity. If we want to become generous people, then we have to do generous things, and we have to do them on purpose. Even an unbeliever like Eric Fromm recognized the power of generosity. My good friend Gary Clark was reading the, his book, In the Art of Loving, and he shared this with me. Eric Fromm writes, giving is more joyous than receiving, not because it is a deprivation, but because in the act of giving lies the expression of my aliveness. Well, he gets the idea that generosity is an important part of being a human being. Of course, long before Eric Fromm wrote those words, Jesus taught his disciples it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? So that, that concept, that philosophy has been around a long time, and I believe because it's a God-given philosophy. So here's my question for you. What are you doing to be generous? What are you going to do today that will bless another person? What are you going to do this week to help someone that is in need? Once we move from desire to be generous to actually being generous, I think something amazing happens. We start to see opportunities everywhere. We might notice that the same phenomenon taking place when we buy a new vehicle. How many of you have ever bought a new vehicle? Anybody ever bought a new vehicle? Okay. So isn't it interesting? I don't, it, it's happened to me. Maybe it's not happened to you. But it seems interesting that as soon as you purchase your new vehicle, it seems like everybody else is getting the same vehicle. You're riding around, you're seeing the car you're driving, and you're like, wow, I never noticed so many of these cars on the road. Uh, in psychology, this is called the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon. Uh, say that several times in a row. But, or it's actually frequency illusion. No, everyone didn't go out and buy the same car you did the same time. It's your brain just adjusting to notice things that are important to you. All of those cars were on the road before. You just didn't notice them until you took the step of purchasing your car. And the same is true with generosity. Uh, once we start living generously, our brain is going to start searching for more opportunities. How cool is that? Uh, when, when we pray, the Holy Spirit helps us. When we activate our generosity, our brain starts helping us as well. It seems so simple, doesn't it? Generous people do generous things. So why is it then that so many of us desire to be generous, but so few of us are actually living out that generosity in the world? Well, there's a story in the Gospels that I think helped answer this question, and it's found in Matthew chapter 14, verses 15 through 21. So let's go through verses 15 through 18 to set the stage. As evening approached, 
the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. Uh, You give them something to eat. Well, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Well, bring them here to me, he asked. Well, I want to set the the scene and give you sort of the context for what's happening here. Jesus was surrounded by thousands of people who were gathered together to hear him preach and preach. Probably many of them wanting to see a miracle or wanting to have a miracle in their own life. And that's what Jesus did. He would teach and preach and heal the sick. The passages tell us here that there were 5,000 men who were present. But it doesn't include the women and the children. So there is a possibility that there could have been 15,000, 20,000 people at this event. It was a huge crowd, needless to say. And as it began to get late in the day, the disciples came to Jesus with this problem. They noticed it's getting dark. The people hadn't eaten dinner. It's a remote place. Now talk about remote. Well, I'm not going to get into West Virginia. Okay, so the disciples were concerned that if the people weren't sent home to get dinner, they would be forced to travel at night. And traveling at night in that ancient world could be a very dangerous proposition. So when the disciples came to Jesus, they weren't complaining. They weren't being petty. Quite the opposite. They had identified a legitimate need that was impacting this large group of people. Now, we would expect Jesus at this point to say something like, you know, guys, you know, you're right. Uh, Let's send them home and make sure they get what they need. Or maybe the disciples were thinking Jesus would do some sort of grand miracle and just like food for everyone, you know, something like that. Go home safe. The disciples didn't actually uh, uh, know exactly uh, what Jesus was going to do Uh, but they did what he told them to do. They identified a need. I mean, this is, I'm sure Jesus told them to be aware. And they brought the need to Jesus. I mean, isn't this what we're supposed to do? Isn't this what the Bible says to do? When you see a need, bring it to Jesus. Lay it at his feet. When you see a problem, you you bring it to him. You pray about it. This is what makes Jesus' response Maybe a little confusing because this is what he said. You give them something to eat. (laughs) Uh, Now, when the disciples came to Jesus with the problem, he says, "You, you solve it. He didn't perform the miracle they probably expected or he didn't give them a solution. Instead, he put the responsibility back on them. And the disciples responded probably exactly how we would have responded in the same way. You know, we we only have five loaves and two fish. Probably that's just enough for us, boss. You know, when Jesus put that responsibility back on them, their first response was to make sure he understood their limitations. 
They were talking about loaves and fish in this story, but really what they're saying is we don't have enough. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever seen a problem in the world or you see a need in your neighborhood or you identify an opportunity to be generous? What's the first thought that comes to mind? I don't have enough. Now, I may be thinking, I want to help. I wish I could help. But, but there's no way that I have enough time or have enough money or have enough energy or have enough influence to make a difference. We identify opportunities to be generous and then we allow our limitations to keep us from action. Now, uh, have any of you ever traveled overseas to a third world country? Anybody here? Raise your hand if you have. Uh, there's some of you that have. Uh, and if you have been in that kind of situation, and I've been to Africa and India, and I've seen it every time I go, you have a lot of people that when they see you as an American, they're going to come out, and they're going to they're be begging for help. Why would they do that? Well, because they believe that every American is a rich person. And comparatively speaking, we are all rich, right? Um, and so you have all these little children coming up and begging for help. And your heart goes out to them and you want to help them. But there's so many of them that you know that it, it's a drop in the bucket what you could do. Uh, you want to help, but you realize your own personal inadequacies. And that's why we partner with ministries like CICM in India, like uh, Togo Christian Mission in Togo, or like uh, Africa Hope Initiatives in Rwanda, so that that help and support that could be there over the long term can really make a difference in those children and families' needs. But you do feel like you are helpless to help at times. Now, this is the answer to the question I asked earlier. Why does our desire to be generous sometimes not translate into actual generosity? Well, one reason is because we allow our limitations to stop us. Is that true for you? It's, it's true for me at times. But Jesus didn't let his disciples off the hook that easy. He didn't say to them, well, you're right, guys. There's just too many people and not enough food. Instead, he gave them a very specific instruction. Bring them here. Don't miss this. Jesus told the disciples to bring what they had and give it to him. They had five loaves of bread and two fish. Now, uh, that's not enough to feed, under normal circumstances, fifteen to 20,000 people, much less a group of hungry disciples. So the disciples were not wrong in their assessment of the situation. They didn't have enough food for 15 or 20,000 people. But the mistake that they made was looking at their limitations instead of looking at what they 
had the Lord. They were so focused on what they didn't have that they failed to see what they did have. And what did they have? They had Jesus sitting there with them, right? Look at what happens when the disciples look past their limitations and bring what they have to Jesus. We go back to our text and we begin reading again in verse 19. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and he broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. I'm glad they cleaned up after the meal, right? The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, isn't that amazing? Something miraculous certainly did happen. Jesus did what the disciples could never do on their own, but he didn't do it until the disciples took a step of action. Is it possible Jesus has amazing things that he wants to do through you, in your world, in your sphere of influence, in your community, even here in our church? Is it possible Jesus wants to take our efforts and multiply them in a way that is far beyond what we could ever imagine? Is it possible that Jesus wants us to do all of these things, but he's waiting for us to take the first step? I love this quote from St. Augustine. Without God, we cannot. Without us, God will not. The point being, God wants us to be involved in this process. God is waiting on his people to move from a desire to be generous to actual generosity. And much as he did with the loaves and the fish, when we take a step toward generosity, he will multiply our efforts. If I was going to put this into a formula, it would look something like this. Um, what we have plus who God is equals enough. Think about that. It really is this simple. If we have the faith to look past our limitations and bring what we have to God, he will use our generosity to change the lives of people. And it doesn't change the lives of, uh, doesn't just change the lives of other people. That type of faithful generosity changes our lives as well. Not only does it bring us closer to the heart of God, it even helps us physically. According to the study done by uh, the Stony Brook University School of Medicine in New York, generosity lowers our blood pressure, lowers our risk of dementia, lessens our anxiety and depression, reduces our cardiovascular risk, and increases our overall happiness. Have you ever noticed now, when you're generous, when you do something to help someone else, that you receive 
a blessing in that. These physical changes don't only take place in the person being generous, but they also affect the recipient of the generosity. So the bottom line is this. Activating our generosity makes everything better. I, I want to share an amazing story with you today that demonstrates the power of taking what we have and giving it to God. So look at this video, and then we'll come back and finish out. I had an accident and my hip was broken in so many pieces. I have two rods in my hip. She's an angel among us. If you watch her in the bread company, everyone comes in to see Catherine. You know, we sell the bread, but I feel like there are some people who specifically come with prayer requests and uh, I go pray for them. One day when we were sharing, she said she was in need of a different car, that her car was needing expensive repairs. I had been saving money, but uh, I knew it wasn't enough, so I knew I would take a few years to save for it. So a couple months later, I went in and I said, Catherine, how's your car fund coming? And she said, I gave it all away. And I looked at her and, and she said, there was a widow in need and I gave her the $5,000. I struggled a lot when I gave that money. And uh, I said, I feel okay, but uh, do you think I did the right thing? I mean, I cannot give what I don't have, so I just gave what I had. I was shocked, and so I come home and I tell Pete that we needed to help Catherine with her car fund. He looked at me and he said, no, I think we need to buy Catherine a car. And I said, okay, great. Pete called Scott and said, do you know Catherine Great Harvest? And he said, yes, he did. Pete said, well, we'd like to buy her a car. He asked Pete, do you want it used your new car? And it just hit him right in the face. Why would he ask me that? Of course I would want a used car. That's good enough. He just paused for a moment and he said, I want a new car. And he said it was silent on the phone for a few seconds. And Scott said, whoa, I want to help. And so he pitched in some so she came to the bakery and uh, she asked me, if you were to buy a car, what kind of a car would you like? I said, Debbie, I'm not really planning to buy a car. But she said, oh, just tell me. And she said, I'd like a SUV cruise control. And she said, I'd like a light color. And we called Scott and he said, I think I've got the perfect car. So Pete said, can we deliver it tomorrow? So we have the bread company owner and his family, Scott and his family and our family. And Catherine sees us all coming in and she's just all excited to see everyone. And uh, I went to give them hugs and I said, what's Pete doing here? 
I did have the, the biggest idea. When I went out, And so we walked her over to the car. We said, Catherine, this is your new car. So, oh, I said, for me, this is for me. I said, oh, I, I knew God had many cars, but I didn't know he had a new one for me. So God had new cars <laughs> for me. We all stood there in tears as we saw the joy on Catherine's face. And we got to be a part of it. And the joy of that was unbelievable. It felt so right. It was such an excitement to drive it. We told Catherine that we would like this to be confidential. But I kept running into people who would say, I heard what you did for Catherine. It wasn't even us, it was Catherine. It all started with Catherine giving of what she had to a widow to help her, and it just continues on. Generosity begets generosity. We don't give in order to receive. We give because it's the nature of Jesus Christ. He gave us his life. So we, we have the, the DNA of Jesus Christ of giving. <laughs> yeah, so this is one story I will never forget in my life. wonderful story. A woman listens to God and decides to be generous by donating her car fund to a widow in need. A, a car fund, by the way, which she desperately needed herself. But she gave what she had because she felt the prompting of God's spirit. You know, there's a saying, you reap what you sow. And so God had something special in store for her. At the same time, another couple's listening to God and deciding to buy her a car. So uh, let me ask you a question. Who but God could bring all of these things together in the way that they came? Who but God could multiply the efforts of individuals in such a way that everyone involved, everyone involved was transformed by the power of generosity? My favorite line in the video is when Catherine says, I knew God had many cars, but I didn't know he had a new car for me. <laughs> Friends, God is so much he wants to give us. He is so much he wants to do through us. He's waiting on us to take a step of faithful generosity, and what he does next will blow us away. Once we become aware of the need... Once generous, our generous spirit will move us to act upon that need. You know, over the years here at Christ Church, I have often 
made you aware of needs and opportunities. And I want to applaud you because when you become aware, you always act. I, I want to commend you for your spirit of generosity. It requires a generous spirit to start a Backpack Pals ministry, which has led to the incorporation of the nonprofit 86 Hunger to take care of hungry children in our community. It takes a generous spirit for people to take time out of their lives and spend money to go to Rwanda and help students that they have no idea who they are, but to accomplish a kingdom and God-given goal to become legal pastors at churches. It requires a generous spirit to uh, birth out of that experience Africa Hope Initiatives U.S. In, in order to continue to support those other ministries in Rwanda, and Jennifer Parker and the team have done that. It re required a generous spirit to give to a love offering several weeks ago to Venture Church uh, to finally have their own property, and we were able to send $2,000 to them. You know, that's a church that we helped plant back in 2012. Several families from Christ Church moved to Wilmington to start that work. Again, a generous spirit. So we have a special connection to that church. A generous spirit inspired many of you to give financially and materially to our brother David Rayfield so that he would have a place to live. That generosity revealed God's love for David, and he has been changed by it. And I do want to tell you, please be in prayer for David because his heart surgery is on June the 6th. So let's keep him in our prayers. Over the years, I've seen your generosity as you have helped provide scholarships for kids to go to summer camp or to go to events that our young people are going on. As you have done mission work in Mexico and places like Washington, D.C., our teens are getting ready to go there for a mission week. Through all of this, God's spirit of generosity has been evident, and I believe you have been the source of many words of thanks and praise being lifted up to God. So here's the million-dollar question. Are you going to be generous? Are you going to be looking for ways to be aware? Are you going to take action? How do we move from that desire for generosity to an uh, active generosity. And there's only one thing I want to suggest to you today, and that's just one action step. And that is this, just start simple. Start small. That's all you got to do. Just start small. Um, many times we delay generosity because we're waiting for the bigger, the better opportunity to come along. But I, look, I believe God is providing opportunities for generosity right here where we are. For instance, Campus Christian Fellowship needs some help on June the 4th. Write it down. They're having a cleanup day at the campus house. That won't require any money, but it will take some time and effort. They need some help. 
Denise needs help with VBS coming up. Again, no money required, but maybe some time and effort. Uh, we can start right here with people around us that we see every day. And here's the best part. If you're faithful with the small things, God will keep you providing for the greater opportunities. Proverbs 11.24 tells us, One person gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds unduly, but comes to poverty. In other words, the world of the generous gets larger and larger. If God can trust us in giving in the small areas, he will increase our ability and opportunity to help with larger things. The Bible tells us when we become generous, the world gets bigger and opportunities become more frequent. So start right where you are. Don't allow your limitations to keep you from giving what you have to God. Trust him and multiply your faithful efforts. Move from desire for generosity to actually living generosity. Friends, you can start today. As you go out to eat later today, ask that waiter or waitress if there's anything you can pray for them about. Leave them a good tip. You know, Christians are notorious for bad tips. That's why a lot of waiters and waitresses don't like working on Sundays. Isn't that a sad thing? So let's, let's flip that script. Let's turn that around. Let's give them a great tip. Even if your service isn't perfect, you do something to bless someone. Pray or, or pay for someone else's meal that you see there. Look around. Get your antennas up. Pray for God to lead you. And I tell you, friends, the Holy Spirit will move you toward generosity. Uh, if you do these things, I can promise the results will be more than you can possibly imagine. And again, I'd like to hear about them. Text me, email me, uh, call me, let me know what God does. There's some amazing stories out there. God is waiting on you. He's waiting on me. All we have to do is do something because when we become aware of the opportunities, generosity requires that we act. And I want to end with the prayer that we introduced last week. Uh, and will you just uh, pray silently with me uh, as I pray this prayer? Uh, we pray it for ourselves, for our church, and for Christians everywhere. Let's pray. Father, I want to experience the joy that comes from being generous. I ask that today an opportunity to be generous will come my way that I will recognize it when it does, and that I will have the courage to jump in and to give. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.